Good morning podcast and welcome to the Pierre T. Lambert show. I hope you're having an amazing day and that you're ready because today I've got a new special guest and I think you're gonna absolutely love that episode. My guest today is Chris Howe. Chris is a Canadian entrepreneur in the creative space. He has a YouTube channel where he talks about photography and videography. He also has a production company shooting commercials for brands like Mercedes, Corona. And the really unique thing with Chris is that before getting fully into the video and the photo space, he actually was a musician trying to get into the music industry. So this conversation is awesome for several reasons. First of all, is because we're digging into the creative process of how does he free up time and space to actually get creative. And also, how does he get out of the easy hustle and bustle that kills our creativity? Meaning, we get into doing, 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 we're trying to seek number or reach business goals, and at one point we lose our creativity. How can we get back to it? What step has he taken? in order to get there and also how did he get started what were the biggest failure in his life that really define who he is right now and how he is creating and living his life so with no further ado let's welcome chris to the podcast and guys i just want to send out all my love to you if you're listening right now it means the word to me if you can share it if you like it share it twice and if you love it share it to everyone around you all right let's get started let's welcome chris to the podcast Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking the time. I know it's a little bit early for everyone. And uh, I've been, I'm I've very been trying excited. to get up early. And if I have a reason to get up early, it's even better. And if I have a reason to like come and hang out and just chat with a friend about creative stuff, then it's even better. Yeah, I feel like waking up early is like those sunrises shoots we really want to do. But every morning in bed, we're like, oh, maybe later. It might be yeah. good if I wake up an hour later. Nope. Do you know, do you know uh, the creative Matt Como? at all yeah. yeah yeah so matt matt posts like an instagram story yesterday of him he i think he gets up at sunrise a lot and goes for like a workout but he has like nine alarms or something like that set i'm like also that type of person too where i have to have multiple alarms set to be able to actually get out of bed because i like it's very easy for me to like want to stay especially lizzie will be like but just like two more minutes so <laughs> <laughs> i feel like it's harder when there are two people in the bed than yeah. when you're alone yeah and you want to like get out of bed quietly and not wake up the other person. But also our cat has been waking us up at five in the morning right now. So I don't know. I feel like I'm like used to getting up early because she's always jumping into the bed and like sniffing my face. And I'm like, all right, I'll get up. <laughs> That's good. That's a good question. We're chatting with a, with a friend the other day and apparently there are two types of people, the ones that work better at night yeah. and the ones that work better in the morning. What are you? Are you a sunrise or sun or night all? Oh, you know what? I, I definitely am like an ebb and flow person when it comes to that kind of thing. Like I, de I like, I would say more often I'm a morning person, but there's times at night, especially like, let's say Lizzie's going out with like her girlfriends or friends or whatever it is. And like, I can just be in the zone, no distractions, no, nothing else. Then I can just work all night. But I would say I tend to work better in the morning just because I prefer like the energy of like, waking up, getting a coffee, it's still silent and it's like, but there's a light in the sky. So I, I would say I'm both, but more often morning. I see. Yeah. I feel like the, the night, we can shift through the night, like make it work. But I feel like you always have to check the work you did at night in the morning. Just to make yeah, sure yeah, yeah. Move. I think it's, it's a good thing too. actually having the break is such a good thing for both like your eyes and your ears, because then you'll come back and you'll be like, why did I put so much contrast on this image? 
<laughs> that's true. Oh, Flux was on. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so blue. That's so funny. Uh, I'm kind of curious, Chris. So, for anyone uh, not really knowing your journey and and your path in life, I'm kind of curious if there was a moment, a specific moment, when when you as a creative you discovered that it was possible actually to become a professional video and photographer. Uh, was there a specific moment where you realized, oh, I guess it can happen? Um, there, there's one moment that stands out for me as pursuing a career as a creative just in general. There's like two or three that really stand out. So the first one was when I was in like grade 12. And at that time, my ambitions were to be like a musician. I was like a, a bass player. I was a guitar player. I was a singer songwriter. I was actually like really trying to do like, I want to be the Jack Johnson of Canada. And what was happening is I was pursuing a career or I was preparing myself to be an engineer for university because I had the grades mm. to get in. I got accepted to go in. And when I was in my grade 12 uh, drama class, I remember <laughs> it seems so like classic, but I remember telling my teacher, oh yeah, I'd, I'd love to be a you know, musician in the future, but you know, I'm going to pursue a career as an engineer instead. And she goes like, why, why? And I was like, oh, because because that's what you're supposed to do. Like, that's what everybody wants. And that's a good career. She's like, yeah, but I know lots of people who have been successful in the arts. Like, why are you telling yourself that? And I think just she was the first person that at least confronted me about it and gave me an opportunity to really think like, well, actually, maybe it is possible. Maybe it's not just for like the lucky few. Maybe it is for the people who are hardworking and meet the right opportunities. So that was like stage one of, okay, I think I can pursue a creative life and not, and it not be scary, whether that's professional in some capacity or a side hustle. So that's like stage one. Stage two is I actually met, do you know the rapper Macklemore? Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So right before he blew up and became like really, really famous, got to see him touring his like first EP that he made, like a first six songs EP. It was called like the Versus EP. And he came to Toronto. He sold out this small club of like, I think like 100 people, 150 people. And I got to meet him and his band after the show because I was such a, a diehard fan that I was singing one of his songs at the front of the venue. And he saw that I was like rapping all the lyrics and he like pulled me up on stage and we sang his like closing song together which was like wild. So he, we got the chance to chat afterwards because he, we obviously had that quick experience at the end. And he told me that he's like, you should read this book by Julia Cameron called The Artist's Way. And that book more or less summarizes that the life of, of being an artist is like a good life and an okay life to pursue. And that was just like another staple of, all right, I don't have to follow conventions. I don't have to follow the way things are always done. And that seeing him and then him saying it and recommending this book was just like the perfect recipe for me to have the confidence once again to be like, I don't have to, again, follow a traditional path. I can do my own thing. And then the third stage was that my family, everyone in my family is like more or less an entrepreneur. My grandparents ran multiple businesses. My dad's an entrepreneur. And I think seeing how they could run their careers and have successful careers and provide for families and do amazing things. Like my grandparents owned this German travel company where they brought German Canadians all around the world. So my grandmother's been like everywhere. I'll joke and I'll be like Norway. And she's been like 
four times. And I'll be like, South Africa. She's like, 26 times. I'm like, Brazil. She's like, 42 times. I'm like, the hell? And she's more or less been to every country once, minus like a few of them. So I think being able to chat with them, having that background um, really gave me the confidence to be like, okay, I can be an entrepreneur. I can pursue this creative life and I can build my own businesses because I had the right pieces and the right random experiences in my life. And um, I think the moment you make your first dollar is any proof that you can make more than just $1. So um, after I kind of got started getting paid for videography, I was like, okay, I think I can, I think I can pursue this as like a career. And every, there's always scales for every career. There's people who are engineers that don't get paid well. And then there's engineers that get paid really well and vice versa. If you're a photographer, I always say photographer, by the way, someone called me out on this. I say photographer. Anyways, apparently <laughs> therapy, I do this. Um, uh, there's always different scales. So you can be uh, on the lower end, but if you are smart about it, you approach it like a business and you navigate the landscape, you can be successful in terms of a financial career in it. So the moment I knew that I had like the right business background uh, and I could pair that with my creativity, I knew I knew it was bound to happen that I could make like a full-time living doing this. That's amazing how it, it came out in, in different stages and uh, until that moment when, when you make your first dollar. Um, yeah. Going back to that teacher, I'm super curious, was she like an open-minded teacher or would you... Or, or did your initial thoughts about her until she talked to you were more like she's strict and very traditional or was she the uh, crazy one? Um, crazy. Like she, she might've been like crazy, but in like a good way. Like she, she was definitely very motherly and she mm -hmm. would always like approach it from, you know, taking like she was, she cared about her kids. And I think she, she always wanted the best for them. And we got the chance to know each other because I was part of the improv team in uh, grade 12. And drama was like a big part of my life. And the creative arts were like a really big part. Everything, music, drama, creative writing, like all that stuff I was absolutely obsessed with. And it's funny because I went to like an athletic school. So there was a very <laughs> small community of creatives in our school because the majority of the people were like all athletic. So I think that I think my teacher just empathized with a few people that really wanted to pursue a creative life so she she was like open-minded motherly caring was just like the perfect amount of crazy and yeah. you know someone who someone like it's hard to pinpoint and tell what is crazy about somebody but you she just had this like essence about her this really fun personality i respected her so much um so when she said it it came that message came from like the right person at the right time got it that's awesome and how are you parents about it yeah my, my parents were awesome um almost like you could you could quote them as being too supportive so they they've always been been there no matter what you know they always want the best for you I'm, at the time i'll never forget so there was this one moment specifically with my dad um where my dad had told me after I did like a tour of the school, the university that I went to. So that there's obviously that, that big change where you were going from like high school into university and you're deciding, you're making really big decisions. You're like, well, what, what am I doing for the next four years, more or less of my life? What major am I interested in doing? It's a big decision because I had a lot of different options in front of me, engineering, architecture, professional basis, going to music school, um, radio and television, videography. And I was really, really interested in video. 
And we went to Ryerson, uh, which is the school in Toronto that I studied at. And there was a radio and television arts program there. It's, it's a harder one to get into because so many, it's the number one applied school and program in Canada. Mm -hmm. But we did a tour of it. And I remember my dad, we, we went through all these studios. We went through recording studios. We went through all this stuff. And I remember my dad just like looking around being like, this is awesome. And he and more or less told me that he had pursued a career because it was a good choice and a, a, like a career that would provide money for him. But after 25 years and working in it, he was just like speaking candidly. He's like, I'm, I'm not as happy in it. Um, this career provides a good financial part of my life so I can do the things that I want to do, like have a boat and a cottage. And these are the things that I'm sacrificing. I'm sacrificing a bit of this joy to have family joy and provide this life. And he was very candid with me about that, that he more or less like chased the money and that it was not fully satisfying to him. So he was like, you should do what makes you happy. And even though at that time, like you, my parents don't know a lot about radio and television. They didn't know about that career. And if anything, television was dying at the time. So for me to be like, I want to go into television, you know, that's a scary thing for, for my parents. So, you know, they, my, both my parents were very, very supportive around it, even though I kind of knew in the back of their mind that they were worried. So I, I always appreciate them so much for, for believing in me no matter what. And, and speaking candidly too, like when I was younger, we had a lot of family members in our uh, pass away in a very short period of time. So I lost like seven family members in like two or three years. And I think when you go through something like that, you realize how like precious life is and how short life is. Like my grandfather passed away at 64 and like I lost a lot of people at a very young age. My uncles, both like 30s and 40s. And I think at some point you're like, well, who screw it. Who, who cares? Like, let's do what you want to do and do what you want, what makes you happy, even if it's scary. So my long story short, my parents were always supportive because there was a multitude of things. They wanted me to be happy. My dad had that background of pursuing money. And then we lost a lot of family members. And again, it's like a multitude of reasons that just end up being like, do what, do what you want to do. We're here for you no matter what. And so my parents are, my parents were awesome that way. That's awesome that they had the wisdom to actually put their, uh, the fears behind and just be yeah. like okay let's let's go let's do you um, yeah and not what I, we I, think I, is best for you yeah exactly and it's exactly and it's, it's hard because you know obviously every parent wants the best for their child and they just want them to be okay and, and finances play a big part in that and when you don't know that a career is going to be stable or a career is or you don't have the insights into a career um because i think that's always so important like anytime someone asks me Chris, um, I want to pursue a life of photographer or videographer, but my parents, they don't approve of this. I always think that it's important for them to source uh, somebody in their field that has been successful in it so that that parent can talk to somebody who has been successful yeah. in that so that they can build the confidence. Because I think everything comes from like a very surface level understanding of a career. Like I don't know anything of like a lawyer other than lawyers more or less make good money. So then everyone's like, okay, well, lawyers make good money. That more that means that it should be financially less stressful for you to to live your yeah. life. So so we have these like very basic understandings of a lot of careers. So rather than being like, oh, I've heard that a lot of creatives and I've heard that a lot of photographers don't make money because the barrier of entry <laughs> is so low. 
right? Like any, like anyone can be a photographer, which means that when the barrier of entry is so low, it more or less means that there's going to be a higher rate of failure just because it's so easy to get in. Anyone can call themselves a photographer rather than going to school to be a lawyer. You have to pass the bar, which uh, means that there's a higher chance of success based Mm. statistically. So I think it's important that if a kid or someone who wants to be in this field really does their research and reaches out to someone who's been successful in their eyes in that field. So they can also communicate that success to their parents or family members or loved ones. That's so interesting what you just mentioned, uh, talking about that percentage and, and the barrier to entry, because it is something that, I mean, even for me, people would say like, oh, artists struggle. You know, yeah. like for 400 artists, there is one that's going to make money. Yeah. Um, but I never thought about it as there is no barrier to entry on that end. It's true. It's like, yeah, yeah doctors, it, like, yeah, I mean, you, you just spent eight years. If you went through that, uh, you will be rewarded in a way uh, by, by the jobs in society just because not many people go through eight years of studies. But if, yeah. if you're just picking up a camera, there's a lot of... There's a lot of, I mean, you can fail so easily. Well, yeah. And the, and the difference is, is that there's no, like, you don't have to write a test to be a photographer, like being like, you are now a professional. Like I can just call myself a professional photographer. It's and true. then people are like, oh, he's professional because he says he is and his work more or less looks good. It's because But, of your camera, Chris. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Press the button. It does all the work for me. So I think because of that, Um, it's very easy for someone to pursue that career, say, I'm a photographer, give up on it because they didn't, they didn't get what they wanted out of it. And now all of a sudden they're a failed photographer. They tell that story to a lot of people. And then people have this impression that for, you can't make money at photography or you can't make money at video because, because I've heard my friends, my friend's yeah. daughter's cousin, Karen failed at it. So you shouldn't do it. It's like, it's just such BS. And also marketplace is changing. Like now more than ever, media is so crucial. We consume so many different niches. So it, like marketplaces change from time to time. Like if anything, we probably have a surplus of certain pr professions, whereas we need people in media because everybody needs marketing. Everybody needs to tell a story. So if anything, 2020 and moving forward is a great time to be a creative And, and, and know the skill set and technical skill set of being a photographer and videographer. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. Um, uh, what, what you just said about like my son's daughter or uh, my, yeah. my friend's daughter uh, reminded yeah. me, it's like going to um, a sport event with your kids and yeah. instead of cheering them, it's like, you know what? There's like 120 kids competing here. There's no way you're going to be in the top three. Let's go home. Yeah, <laughs> sure. It's like, it's just... It, it it's it makes sense because it's all rooted in fear and it's also rooted that like there's no background in education like you have to know your child you have to know yourself to be like am am i someone who has it to make it in this field because there, you can be successful in anything depending on your persistence and your your passion for it Yeah, that, yeah, that's I find that to be a silver lining, meaning across different projects or anything that's slightly entrepreneurial. If you apply the same uh, hard work and methodology and like strategy, I feel like 
whether it's photography, video, um, I don't know, producing sounds or anything a little bit entrepreneur or starting a t-shirt company or, or whatever you want to call or podcast company. I feel like if you apply the same methodology, you, you will be able to, to get somewhere, you know? Yeah. I have friends that own clothing companies and clothing companies notoriously don't are unsuccessful more or less. Yeah. And, but he, they've done very well because yeah. they're good at marketing. They made good quality clothes. They sourced the right things. They put the right ingredients together to build something successful right? Like that's, that's the thing yeah. is you, you can, you can do it. You just need to know if you're the type of person that can put all the pieces together and be successful in that field. And there's also different measures of success. Like we put so much pressure on finances, like, Oh, are you financially successful? But for a lot of people, they measure their success by different metrics. Like, is my work good enough? Is, do I live the life I really want? Do I get to travel? Do I get to do this? Like, you put value on so many different parts of your life. I don't have to yeah. tell my parents all the time, which is something I used to do always. I used to try to like validate, like you guys were right in supporting me. I made this much this year. And they're like, yay. But, but I measure my success in so many different ways. So, and it's most of the time, not based off of finances. Like once you hit a certain amount of money, you're like, cool, I have money. I'll be okay. So now, now what makes me happy? And then you have to search for that outside of it. Right. That that's so true with the parents. I do yeah. remember that, like well, after a while of doing my thing with this, so I would make zero. I'd yeah. be like, I made this, and that I, yeah. oh, cool, cool. Yeah. Well, let's make sure it happens next month too. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, damn it, just, just, just love me. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. It's like, let's not talk about this. Um. Well, speaking of of like the, those hustle, was there a particular failure uh, in throughout your journey that you feel really turned things around for you, uh, and maybe came out as something very positive? We, there, it's hard to define what the failures would be. There was there was an interesting time when well, I remember. Okay, let's talk about the transition from like music into video. So like when I was pursuing a career outside of school. Like when I finished university, I was like, okay, I'm really going to give this music thing a shot. So in Canada, there's a lot of like funding and grant programs available for musicians to be able to like get money to be like, let's make a music video. Let's record an album. And that's a great thing about Canada is they really support the arts, which I also think is a big reason why there's so many successful musicians and artists that come out of Canada, just because there's like a funding structure Like, yeah. you know, someone like Drake and Justin Bieber, before they become massive, there's a whole program in place to be like, here, pitch us. Like, we're the, we're the Canadian government. We, they're, they're called Factor. Um, so pitch us your music. If we like it, we'll give you 10 grand to make an album. So you pitch it, you put together a business plan, and then you get 10 grand. And in a lot of other countries around the world, there's, there's not really programs like that that exist. So that, I think that's always like why Canada's cultivated so many great artists is because we, we put money behind it from yeah. with our taxes. So I was like, well, I want to be a part of that. How do I do it? So I want to figure out how to get these funding structures. So I remember applying to this one program multiple times because I had just like recorded a song. I actually recorded, I got this one song, which I thought was amazing. 
And then I recorded it with like a really well-known producer who was like a guitar player for Jason Mraz. And I was like, these are all the right ingredients. I had just pitched them on this like amazing viral idea. And they had this new funding structure where they were going to promote social, social ideas. And I was like, okay, this is the one I have everything right. Great song, great producers, great recommendations. And this was like my fifth time trying to apply. I was like, all right, these are all the right things to try to get, I think it was like 10 grand or five grand to make a music video. I pitched them. I thought everything was great. And I was like, all right, let's see what we get it. And I got turned down. And I don't know. And I think that was the turning point for me where I was like, music isn't working. It's I put everything I possibly could into it and it wasn't translating. But what was making me money and was also making me happy at the time was like video. And I realized I was shooting all these videos for my music. I was getting paid to do commercial and corporate jobs. And like that was like a great moment in realizing, well, maybe I should pivot and maybe I should, if I want to make money and have a career as a creative, it seems like the marketplace right now very much values videographers, photographers, YouTubers, Instagrammers rather than music. And even though I think music fundamentally is extremely powerful, you can speak to so many people and it's a universal language. It just, it just wasn't feeling right. And I was feeling so denied by what was happening in the space in Canada that I was like, I can't, I didn't give up music. I just shifted my perspective on it. So music then became something I did for joy rather than for work. And then mm-hmm. I hard pivoted into video videography and photography. And that one failure really allowed me to um, streamline my life where I'm like, all right, I'm not doing video and music at the same time. I'm just going to go all in on video. And that, that was like this weird moment where I wasn't, it was, I didn't like actively decide. I just, I just stopped. Like I just stopped caring. And I all of a sudden just like, was like, all right, my excitement for this was going away. Like that, I would say the, the music industry killed my this sounds sad but it killed my my joy for music which Mm -hmm. which then allowed me to go all in on video and photo which was actually my original passion for being a creative like this all started in being a photographer and videographer then i got into music and then i would film media around music but the whole time video and photo was always like a big theme throughout my life and it just allowed me to fully take away one and go all all the way in on another it's awesome to hear how how you actually started with photo and video and through you the music you were you were doing videos which yeah. which is which is something i mean i don't know many vi- uh, music artists that want to do videos too or photos so yeah uh, i was just like a i was just such a persistent person that i was like it's probably like a good and bad thing that i was like i have to do everything on my own like I, I, I was an only child growing up, so I didn't really like fully understand collaboration. Like I was always very much a solo sports person too. Like I love wakeboarding. I love um, skiing. I love these things where like, it's me, I'm the one in control. And <laughs> what I realized ne- like later in my life is that in order to go far, in order to be successful, you have to collaborate. You have to have support. You need to do those things. And I think that was also like, a a problem at the time because when I was a musician, I was like, well, I also need to shoot my videos. I need to record my own songs. I need to do this, 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 and this all myself, all the marketing. And I think it just just gets to you at some point. 
you can't wear all the hats. You need to diversify. But the silver lining from that is that I really learned how to market myself and I also learned how to do video and I learned all the different roles of a business so that I can now communicate with the people that I bring on and know the nuances of each role. Yeah, that's a big, big strength, uh, having those nuances. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious because something sim very similar happened to me um, in the sense where I started a project which was a platform for booking photographers. And it yeah. was awesome, very excited about the idea of, of going into an entrepreneurial journey. At the time, it was startup booming days. And, yeah. um, and I was like, okay, I need to find a co-founder, you know, like technical, because I don't know how to code. I'm an engineer, but yeah. industrial engineer and like mechanical. Yeah. I have no clue about coding. Yeah. And other entrepreneur, uh, another entrepreneur friend is like, yeah, don't, don't, don't code. Don't learn to code. Do not do that. Find someone else to collaborate with. And obviously yeah. it, I couldn't find anyone. Maybe yeah. my idea wasn't appealing enough or there's, there's multiple reasons and people are busy with their own projects, you know? So I couldn't find someone that wanted to join for free <laughs> and yeah. work on that project that might or might not work. <laughs> Probably yeah. might not. Uh, if you look at stats and, uh, I decided to take on everything. And yeah. so I, I, I learned to, I, I became a professional photographer at the same time. So I, I like trained for that myself. And then yeah. at the same time in the evening, I was like learning to code to actually build like a booking.com replica, but for photographers. Yeah. And, uh, and once I did that, I realized I needed to market it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I didn't, yeah, I still, I still hadn't anyone at that point. So yeah. anyway, so I completely understand your, what you went through and it's so many hats to wear. And even if you love that project so hard, you can do it for a few years that it yeah. just chips away every single thing you have a, for it and if yeah. it doesn't work it's just gonna chip away your love very yeah. quickly i always like there's um something i heard recently i think it was like in a joe rogan podcast and i, I kind of mentioned this yesterday hopefully i can like articulate it properly but um you only have like a certain amount of energy every day right so let's let's call it let's call it a hundred a hundred dollars worth of energy or a hundred points of energy and you know driving to work is five points and then Yeah, you know, talking to somebody is five points, answering emails is five points. Now doing the marketing is 10 points. Now trying to code is 20 points. Now trying to do, and at some point you'll just deplete yourself and burn out and you've never really given like your main task, the, the attention it deserves, <laughs> yeah. right? And you only have a certain amount of energy that you can deplete every day before you're just like tired and, and you need to rest again. So I think it's important that you don't try to wear all the hats because you're just going to, It's going to take so much longer. It's going to kill all your energy. And it's better if you can try to find the right people to collaborate with. There's two sides to that coin where one is like you'll learn and you'll learn a lot of stuff, but you'll take a long time to get there. Or you can just go in on like the thing that you're really good at and then work with a team to, to do something better. And what I've learned more in my life is that I think it's better from a team perspective. That's just where my head's at now. How do you articulate or how do you think, how do you start the process of collaborating with others? If there's a project uh, you want to work on and you need someone else, what, what, where do you go? What do you do? One, I think you, depending on the type of person that you are, you need to develop um, letting go. 
you need to first be able to be like, I can't micromanage this person. I can't tell them what to do. Like I have to trust them. So like it becomes step one, a trusting thing. And then two, it becomes like being able to be a bit of a manager and delegate tasks and for each person to like, to trust that they're going to go and do those things. So for me, I would say before, like when you're starting with anything, you have to really like begin to like let go because that, that I'm the type of person that's like, I have to have my hand on everything. Oh, that photo, like, I don't know, it's two points overexposed. And like, I think the green scale needed to be three points down. No, just if that, if that person thinks it looks good, it probably looks good to a lot of other people. So stop trying to like (laughs) micromanage, just let them do their thing. And, um, I brought on a, a a full-time editor this year on the YouTube channel and he helps me with like, he's the master of everything. He's so good at a lot of stuff, but he's like really good at editing. And it's interesting because I used to try to like watch him edit and be like, well, what are you doing? And the moment I would just let him do his own thing, edits came back better. Hmm. And I would be surprised more often, like an edit would come back and I wouldn't even say like, you should do this. He would just do it. And it would, I was like, oh, that's a really cool idea. That was really interesting that you put that there. I actually really like that. Do more of that. And I think when you can just let people do their thing without them having the fear that you're going to judge it or you're going to like attack it or that's, that's true collaboration when you can both trust that your professionals in the space and coming together for the benefit of the project. That, yeah, that's such a great um, advice for anyone. And it's the hardest to apply to, especially if you're in front of the camera that's being edited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And then that, and then that just becomes like dealing with your ego, right? You just like, don't let the ego get in the way of like, making cool shit (laughs) yeah chris is like i'm just gonna learn what he does and then i'll do it myself well yeah wait i just hired an editor maybe that's not what i'm supposed to be doing exactly exactly so if you let go of editing for example where do you want to spend more time um creativity i think in storytelling it's very easy to always like crutch on uh, okay i can edit photos i can shoot stuff but fundamentally, and what we've all, and something that everyone always says, the Casey Neistats, the Peters, the Jessies, so whoever it is in the world, you know, it's story. It's story. Like, what is the story you're telling? How are you telling it? And I think having, now that I'm not always editing or that I'm not doing the laborious part of editing, it's allowed me to have more mental space to focus on like better creative ideas, better stories doing better and bigger projects. And and that comes in many facets, whether it's technical or whether it's, it just allows me to spend time learning rather than always producing. And because of that mental space to be more creative and to learn new things, it it grows the company and it grows my, my outlet and my creativity. So having more time just allows my brain to like chill out a little bit more. And I think when you're in a more like relaxed state, you can come up with better creative ideas and make make better things because you're not trying to do it all and just you know keep your head above water you actually can breathe you know what i mean yeah uh, I, I totally see what you mean because um it's it's something i just thought about the other day uh like a few <laughs> weeks ago and i was like like doing all those projects and i had the course and i was editing like 50 videos and then another 50 videos and then i was shooting the 50 videos and i was just like going 
kind of like and then we have the baby so it was like really intense i would say and i was like my friends were getting bored in quarantine and i was like ah, i i want to get bored right now but the yeah. whole point was like when you're so like 100 into something and and you're working on the business aspect also you're working on activities that you know are not necessarily getting you anywhere creatively yeah for, for example just editing or, or or just doing long tasks What what I was thinking about is like when we start, you know, our journey as photographers, as artists in, in general, when we start, we do put a, a huge emphasis on trying a lot of things, you know, like, oh, this idea, you know, I never judged someone doing, I don't know, like a lens ball or whatever. I was like, yeah. oh, that's cool. You know, let me try. And I feel yeah. like the more you... I progress and the more maybe I might see myself easily start to narrow down my view on what could work, what could be good, what could be nice. And and I caught myself in it and I was like, oh, watch out. You don't want to be that guy who who says, oh, this is not stupid, but oh, no, this doesn't work or whatever. Yeah. Uh, how, how do I get back to being more, just trying more things and, and just being more creative without the purpose of that's not going to be a good video. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, dude, that's a, that's a really hard one. Balancing creativity and taking risks um, while also maintaining like a public persona and YouTube channel. And that is funded and your value is like when, when you work in YouTube, part of one of your pillars of where you make money is through sponsorship and sponsorship is directly tied to, views and your creative and creativity so you when you want to always try to do is you want to deliver on i'm consistent i can more or less get good numbers so that means i can get paid this much money so it's it's tough when your value is directed on views so it's you have fear to try new things because if it fails it may or may not like dip your finances moving forward yeah. So there's a lot of pressure on YouTubers specifically to just constantly get similar numbers rather than experiment and try new creative ideas because you just never know what's going to happen. And that's, that's a, that's a weird place for YouTubers to be in. And it's hard to like want to experiment and try new things and like, what's my voice, what's my creativity. Um, so you, so you crutch on like what you think will do well. And that's a, that's a, it's a, Um, not not the best place to be in all the time. Have you found something that helps you go through that, or or like actually like kind of ease things? Um, I think a community, like talking talking to people in your community. Like so, for us, it's you know we have like a little group of people that we touch base with, and I think rather than seeing someone else's video and being like I should do that, and because it did well. I think it, when you talk to friends, you're reminded of like what you do well and what you're good at and what your creative eye is. And um, rather than chasing views, you can chase your like own voice. And the moment you can follow that and be reassured by your community, it can it can be that can be more comforting. Have you ever thought? Okay, um, what, what you say is so interesting because have you ever thought of letting go of your channel? Not completely, but the whole YouTube aspect, meaning you do your videos, but someone else handles publishing, someone else looks at your analytics and someone else 
deals with brands if they need to, you know, or gives you a weekly report on the channel or monthly report and you yeah. base your, your brand deals or whatever you want off of that and you don't really... And, and it might be a little bit, people might be like, well, how do you engage with your community? Well, that, that can be another discussion, but have you ever thought of that? Yeah. And, and we're doing it in like a small way. So we, we have like a, we have an agent and they handle all our um, integrations and sponsorship and stuff like that. So like, rather than me constantly like staying on top and feeling so emotionally connected to everything, <laughs> I can at least let them handle the negotiations and what happens. And then they just come back with being like, They want this, this, and this for this much. And I'm like, okay, yes, no, maybe so. It fits into this content calendar. And I mentioned earlier that my editor kind of wears a lot of different hats. And what I'm trying to get him to be at is a stage where he can just upload. And all I have to worry about is like title, thumbnail, and making the video and like creatively making the video. And then he can handle like the annoying parts of publishing and keywording or not annoying, the, the more analytical and business side of it so that I'm not directly tied to it. It's just hard when you're like a small uh, enterprise or a small corporation, you know, it's, it's, those still feel like fundamental roles. Like Casey Neistat always said like he couldn't detach himself from editing because he always felt like that was his special touch. And I think that comes even when you study the business side of things you always feel like, well, I can, I, I'm the one that deeply understands this rather than just bringing on a professional that can be like, your analytics are this, your, your audience really loves this. Why have you tried considering trying doing this? And here's a weekly report you made. You got 3000 subscribers this week. Good job. And X, Y, and Z. And I, I think I, I'm definitely open to it and we're doing it in a small way. Um, could I do it fully? Maybe most likely, but right now we're not. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, I have a friend, he has a tutorial channel, like a few million subscribers. Yeah. And it's so interesting. He said a few years ago, he had to let go of the channel, the YouTube aspect of it. He's like, first of all, he's like, we're running a, a, a bit a real business behind like the platform is huge. They, they have yeah. like over thousands of tutorials and, and the content is amazing. What he was saying is that he would like spend a lot of time on Twitter back in the days, like uh, engaging in Twitter wars about like Photoshop tools or whatever, you know, like debates and stuff. Um, and also on YouTube, he would look at commands, co comments. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how I pronounced that. Uh, he would look at comments and every single comments that were positive were like, yay, yay, dopamine. And then you see one negative and it's like chipping away. Even though you don't care, it's still, you know, You, it still does a little something. And also he's like, then you would like kind of obsess over analytics, but it didn't really matter for the business side as much, you know? Um, yeah. And he's like, and for himself as a creator, it was actually draining him creatively. Yeah. Like really, he's like, it's chipping. It goes back to what you were saying with the amount of energy you have in a day. Um, and some activities are going to be draining, energy draining, and some are going to be energy replenishing, I will say. And some yeah. can be draining negatively, and some can be draining but have a positive impact. Like when you're yeah. on the shoot, you're being drained, but it's super positive because you're pumped, you love it. Yes, you're going to yeah. be tired after your day, but... Uh, but when you're doing taxes, it's draining and it's negative. You know, you, it's yeah. not something that makes you feel great. And... Um, And so what what he was saying is that they he he let go and someone else's handles he hasn't looked at comments in a lot in 
months, years. Uh, he hasn't looked at analytics either. He doesn't even edit his video, right? He doesn't even look at the video that has been edited with him. He just yeah. goes there. He shoots his thing. He does. He's like the best at what he's doing, like meaning shooting, explaining things. And then he gives the content to his team and they edit it. And I'm like, do you, you don't review? He's like, she's been doing that for four or five years. She's like, she, yeah. she probably knows how to do it better than I do. And she knows how, what looks better. I don't, I don't have to look at it. Yeah. As I can. It's, it's, it's really interesting. I was, uh, I listened to this. I'm a big fan of like logic, the rapper. I love rap, by the way, which is like oh, a thing. Oh, logic. I, I have yeah. that one song that's like 10 minutes long that I absolutely love. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's great. And he, he isn't on social media. And I was like, that's, that's amazing. And he was talking about it on like the H3N podcast. And um, there was a really interesting thing that they brought up that apparently when you read negative comments, that we focus so much on this like small minority. Like even though, let's say you, you post a video it has 98% likes and then there's like 2% dislikes, which means that you got, I always relate it back to like a report card or, or like a test. Like if you got 98 on a test, you'd be like stoked. But in YouTube, we like look at the metrics differently. And like, but why, why did two people not like this? So like statistically, you're just going to have people, the bigger that you get, hate. Like there's just going to be people that don't like what you do. And that's just like yeah. based on stats. So it's hard to like rationalize it and connect with that. But the other side of it is that when you read those comments, you get into this like fight or flight mode where you think you're in danger and you think your brand's dying. So like it, it's like a very primal thing that you are worried, like you feel like you're being attacked. So that's why we, we look at this loud minority because we're so worried at a primal level that something is dying or our business is going away or I won't be able to provide for my family or I won't be able to eat because this loud minority could convert all those other people. Even though when you look at it from just a purely rational standpoint, a lot of those comments are like complete BS and that 2% doesn't even matter at all because you got 98. So why are we getting so caught up in all this stuff? And I think it's healthy to go to like detach yourself from it if you can. So like, most recently I made a video called like I'm deleting Instagram and I deleted it off my phone and, and how I I'm operating moving forward right now is that I more or less post things on my iPad. And if I'm in a pinch, I'll like redownload the Instagram app onto my phone. I'll post my photo, spend five minutes replying to comments and try to not read any negative ones or do my best, whatever. And then I'll delete the app because One, it's a massive distraction from like actually creating, it's depleting my energy. It goes back to that all, that everything else uh, and our time, which is like the most valuable thing. And, and two, it's more or less not really like feeding me like the dopamine, like why, why, like then you got to ask yourself, well, why do I need to be validated? Why do I yeah. need likes and why do I, why do I need this? Why do I create Because We're human. We love that dopamine rush. We love that we're like being praised. But when you really look at it from like a really high level, It's more or less that you're just trying to like, you want to be liked. In my case, it's like, I always, my personality always wants to be like liked by people. And then I got to ask myself, well, why do I want to be liked by people? And then that's a whole thing in itself. So like, that's been like a big self-discovery thing for me over the last couple years. So to tie it all back to what you're saying, I think it would be very healthy to detach yourself from 
the comments to detach yourself from the uh, the analytics and have someone else manage that who is not so emotionally connected to it so that you can just do what you want to do, which is like being a creative because the, there's two businesses. There's being an artist and there's being a business person. And to be successful, you, the two need to at least be financially successful. You need to work together yeah. on both those fronts. But if you can be in a point where you don't, that you don't have to handle the business elements as much anymore and you can focus on just being a dope ass creator, then try your best to do that. It's hard though. It's so hard. And like, I don't need, like I'm saying it like, it's like, I'm preaching it. Like you should do this. Even though I'm not practicing it myself fully, I'm in the position of transitioning where I'm not trying to be on Twitter all the time. I'm not trying to use my phone all the time. It's just hard when it's your job and your, your primal instincts are like, you should do this because it feels good. And that's a hard place to be in. Yeah, or or you don't know what's your next, or, or you're a bit lazy to go shoot. Not lazy, or you're like making up excuses or procrastinating for your next shoot, and you're just like, oh, I'm just going to go on Twitter quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and well, then an hour passes, like, and you're like, well, it's dinner time. <laughs> too bad. Yeah, yeah. There's also like a lot of random downtime, too. And yeah. you can look at it being like, well, this is marketing. So like if I post, I'm post, I'm being visible, I'm being seen, my brand's around, which means I could get an opportunity. You never know where you get your next job from. Like, it's just, it, we rationalize things on weird levels. Cause like, maybe I'll go on Facebook and I'll get like two jobs a year from being on Facebook. And then you're like, I should always be on Facebook because I got two jobs from it. It's like, why don't, why don't you just go and find jobs in other places that are like not wasting your time rather than like searching for like a needle in a haystack so so that part is um i i, I kind of not there there is you you know gary vaynerchuk right yeah so he talks a lot about reading comments and knowing what his community is saying and all that um yeah. and, and so that's where sometimes I, i kind of balance in my mind i'm like Well, it's interesting to know where people's mind are on what's being pushed out. And then the other side is like, well, um, the reason things I do work is not because people validate what I do is because I had those ideas and I executed on them and I got the creative space to do them. And it's not that I get the ideas necessarily from those comments. So I'm always wondering, like, and what, what do you think about it? Like should we read comments because it's important to understand people's mindset, but being able to have such a, I think he has a lot of distance between himself and, and whatever is being put out yeah. on. I'm like, is that the goal to have such a big distance between those two that you can read with like a third party viewpoint or, or should we not look at it for the sake of creativity? I, I'm in like two different camps there where one can be like, all right, well, maybe I can learn something from my audience or I can learn something from a comment. Um, but I also, I'm, I'm a very big fan of like Joe Rogan's podcast. And he mentioned something on there where it's like, we're human. Like our inner, like we were designed to have conversations in small communities and groups. Like, yeah. and, you know, you know, we're, To, to like to have access like in, in my case where it's like a photo goes out to hundreds of thousands of people and then it's like 20,000 people might engage with it it's like a, it's not like that's never happened in the history 
of like the plan in the last hundred years. And that's like a weird place to be in. Right. So I, I, I just, I don't like, even on whatever scale it is, even if you're talking to a hundred people and and you get a hundred likes on a photo or 50 likes, it's still like not how we, we've been like as humans, this is a very short period of time. It's a drop in the bucket compared to like our evolution. And our evolution has always been like six people, two people, three people, 10 people. That's who we communicate with. So to all of a sudden have like a hundred thousand opinions or 5,000 opinions or 10, 10 or 15 opinions more than we normally have is like sensory overload. And I think we don't, we don't process it that well as humans. So it's, it's, it's like, interesting time i don't it's something that they talked about in a podcast recently and i just thought it was really interesting yeah and and i mean gary is special in that way that that might be his personal strength you know being able to completely detach and understand other people uh but not everyone's able to do that right so you should you should dive dive into your own strength it's so cool uh i kind of like that that's that's a little bit i hope that helps other people listening but I think for anyone who's like starting, I get this question all the time. Oh, how do I get more followers on Instagram? And and again, or how do I get more likes? Or, or why is no one engaging? And again, it goes to why do you need people to engage? Like if you're trying to yeah. be an influencer, we're going to have a very different conversation versus I'm trying to be a professional photographer. And, yeah. um, and, and that's something I keep reminding. I mean, my Instagram account had like no followers when I was a pro, you know? Uh, yeah. When I started and I got my first clients, et cetera, I had nothing. It was the beginnings of Instagram. It didn't matter. I mean, yeah. nowadays it does matter, but you can still dominate with 2K or 1K on Instagram and, and being in your niche. Yeah, 100%. It depends on who's watching, right? And the right people that are watching. You know, oh. uh, there's a really good um, analogy. So I, I do some work with like Mercedes Benz and I work really closely with like their PR team. And they, um, it's interesting who they select to bring out on certain campaigns. So there'll be like one person and like, that's like the Toronto star, like a traditional press. So Toronto star here is like the biggest magazine or newspaper mm-hmm. here. One of the best, let's call it, they have a very big sports, uh, sorry, a car article that they go through. And maybe let's say it reaches 500,000 people or hundred thousand people, whatever it is. So like, they're like, okay, we're inviting the Toronto star out because they're going to talk to like a very wide audience. But then they also brought out this like one guy that had, um, I think it's like a mailing list of a thousand people. I was like, well, why, 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 why him? Like why a thousand? He goes, cause it's a thousand people that are all millionaires. Right. So, and it's like, those are a thousand people that are most likely going to buy a Mercedes or most likely. So like his niche is so specific to like conversions and that audience that's interested in that, that he gets selected, even though he only has a thousand followers and the Toronto star has maybe like millions, he's also getting brought to the table because the way that people value his niche is different than how they value it. So everyone, everyone likes big numbers, but, but you have to remember like who's in that pod. So like if you're a videographer, photographer, Maybe you're, you have a very specific niche that's like, I target wealthy uh, X, Y, and Z people uh, in this demographic, and I only have 500, but like my conversion rate's like 49% or something like yeah. that. So like, who, who you got to like understand 
your audience and understand your demographics and not be chasing numbers. And then on a philosophical side, you don't like, you do have to answer that question for yourself, which no one really does, which is like, why, why do I need this? Like, why do I need these people? Why do I need this money? Cause, cause we're always like working. We always want like the validation and it usually just comes down to being like, I just want to be loved, which sounds like very airy fairy, but it, it more or less comes back to that. So you have to, you have to try to answer that question so that when you are creating, rather than being like, I'm creating to get lots of followers, maybe you're, you should be creating for yourself and then you'll get followers that are interested in who you authentically are. Yeah. That's the best advice that anyone can have. Can we jump to that photo shoot you did and uh, with Mercedes on the ice track? Yeah. Yeah. For like, sure. Definitely. like how, how fun was that? Cause it's the, the best, the... man. Like, it's so it's so there's such a great partner the relationship that i have with that company is so like so wonderful because it's it's like yeah financially it's like it's great it, it helps on the bottom end but like take that all away like i love cars they always want to do like crazy cool shit i have this great relationship with like everybody there where like i text them like more or less like once or twice a week if i, I go i need a car for a youtube video they're like yeah sure let's do it Get whatever you want and this this is like such a, a perfect like win-win relationship where like i can help them they can help me we do cool shit together they get cool shit back and it's such a like that that job specifically is always like such a highlight of the year for me and this year was like they really went all out they did this like crazy concert they brought out these massive bands i did like an instagram takeover for them i got to make youtube videos i got to like learn how to drive these cars on the ice sideways. I have like relationships with their driving team now. Like for me, that is the epitome of like my favorite projects to work on in terms of like a very like commercial client relationship. Cause I have different ways I value things. Like obviously there's ones where I love doing stuff too, where it gives back to the community. We clean up be beaches. We do a lot of stuff with Corona on that kind of thing too. So like there's two sides where it's like, my adrenaline side, my exciting side where I make cool stuff just gets scratched on every level with Mercedes Benz. And then I also crave to do things where we give back and we like, we invite a bunch of people out and we donate blood and we save hundreds of people's lives. And like, there's different facets of the projects I like to work on. But if we're just going to go in on Mercedes for a second, that project is just like, mm, it's the best. It's so, so fun. I, so I felt it through your... Uh, I think it was, I can't remember when it was, but I, I remember seeing your videos, seeing the photos and I felt it in, yeah. in your work. You know, I was like, this guy was <laughs> stoked for life. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. you can feel it, you can see it in the work. You're like, someone had a lot of fun right there. Yeah, it was, it was such a great time. And it's, for me, it, it check marks all the boxes of like what I really enjoy doing, which is like telling cool stories, sharing knowledge, cars, cool stuff weird locations, just, you know, live, live in life. Like that's, those were the jobs that when I pursued this career, I would hope to work on one day and for it to, to come to life and be there. I, I always get like very emotional when it's happening. Like I'll have like a brief moment where I'm like, just looking around and being like, this is, this is like, this is real. This is like happening. <laughs> and I, and I just, I get emotional and I get like, Oh, like, like dream chasing is like it's possible like these things that you envision 
it's not just a dream. It's like something that can actually happen. And I always just like take a moment to like be so grateful and, and just be like, it took a lot to get here, but it's like, it's possible. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I feel like we're, we're so into racing with our mind and like chasing whatever we're trying to. It's like you have a dream of getting there, but your dream changes and then it goes somewhere else or whatever. And then I, I yeah. personally, I suck at celebrating milestones. But sometimes yeah. I have those weird, like you said, weird moments. You're like, oh, I guess, uh, I guess it's working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, um, I realize that something that's about my personality is it's hard for me sometimes to appreciate where I am. Like I'll climb the top of the mountain and be like, all right, what's the next mountain? And Lizzie will be like, you're on the mountain already. Just look, look around. It's great. You know, and like, oh, it is great up here. Maybe, maybe I don't need to climb that next I mountain. I spent six week. days climbing and I'm going to be yeah. happy for five seconds at the top yeah, and yeah. Then be like, okay, let's go down. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just so funny how we, we are. I, I realize I'm a, I, I, have you ever done like the Enneagram test at all? What's that? It's like a personality test. It's like one of the more accurate ones, at least from like my experience. So it's like, there's nine types of people. You more or less are like one type with like a little bit of some other types, but I'm a, yeah. I'm a type three. I'm a, what is it? The, uh, the achiever. So I'm okay. the person that like needs to like always be working and like, and doing stuff all the time. Like that's how I identify with like success. So it's hard. Like one of my traits is that when I am, when I've reached a certain point that I've always dreamed about, I won't even yeah. take a moment to be like, Mm, the flowers smell nice up here. This is great. It's just like not ah, next thing. It's like that's awesome. So I've learned a lot about myself in the last year, especially with quarantine, that um, to just appreciate where you're at. Are you able? Are you able to appreciate um, the journey also, like throughout? Right. Yeah. I try to be. Pre I try to be present as much as possible because living too far in the future or the past is just like a bad place to be in because you're either like. It's, it's, it's so classic. You read these things online where it's like in the future, you're anxious and in the past, you're depressed. But in the present, like this moment right now, like in, if we're like very present, I'm sitting on a couch, drinking coffee, talking to a homie, like this is a good moment. So yeah. like I should, I'm not, I'm not stressed. And it's, it's nice. I'm comfortable with air conditioning. Like it's fine. Everything. So, you know, I, I just, it's, it's hard to sometimes, It's hard, but I, uh, I always try to do, there's like a good exercise where it's like, if you focus on your, your breath, it's like meditation too. But if you just, yeah. even in the moment you focus on your breath and you're like, it brings you, it brings you into the now because we, uh, we, all our minds have a tendency, especially creative minds to be like, what about this and this and this, what about this, let's do this. Right. <laughs> the freaking like, labyrinth. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, you're like, I'm not, I'm not here. Right. Yeah. The, the breath thing is, is amazing. And I, yeah. I, Anyone listening who's going on a shoot who is stressed, maybe it's their first shoot or the client is a little bit like they're, they're getting stressed out. I highly recommend taking 10 seconds, five seconds to just breathe and, and notice your breath. And then it's, yeah. it's just going to be like, it's almost like, yeah, you, you just get high for like, five, not high, but you just like, yeah, you just chill. You just like yeah. everything. It's like uh, those um, moments in the movies when it, the sound effect goes and the time yeah, slows yeah, down yeah. and then it goes, okay, yeah. action. <laughs> my, uh, my goal is that through this practice, at, like when Lizzie and I get married, I can be very, very present on the day of our, our wedding because everyone's always like, 
it goes by in a flash. It goes by so quickly. And it's just like, I don't, I don't want, like, I don't want to look back on it and be like, it went by so quickly. Cause I think if I can be very present, it will hopefully be like memories that last longer. Yeah. But who knows? <laughs> and, and you don't want to be in the moment thinking, oh, it goes back so quickly. I have to remember it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Let me remember it now. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weddings are fun. It's like, uh, yeah. I mean, it's your day. Uh, a lot yeah. of people stress about a lot of things, but it's like, you know, you prep and then whatever happens, happens. Just enjoy it. Yeah, man. That's, that's, I'm, looking that's forward what to it. I'm looking forward to it more now than even when we, when we got engaged, to be honest. Like Lizzie and I had a longer engagement, but like through the engagement, I've like fallen even more in love with her. And so like that's allowed me to get even more excited about like calling her my wife and having this life together. Um, so yeah, sometime next year, it'll be good. That's that sounds great. Um, yeah. I remember asking my wife, and then a week later, she's like, "Did you ever think about the part where we are supposed to get married when you proposed?" Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, "What do you oh, yeah. mean? We have time, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, I propose now. Let's enjoy yeah. that before we yeah. look into the wedding stuff." <laughs> she's like, "I don't think you thought that through." I'm like, yeah. "Of course I did." <laughs> what about uh, next year, right? <laughs> so funny. Okay. Okay, okay. Yeah, so uh, just for the fun story, this is a baby room right there. So oh, I'm okay. juggling my time in and out of the, <laughs> the studio space yep. between the naps. It's kind of fun, well, yeah. Well, why don't we, why don't we like, close it off because I, I should probably get um, going because yes. my editor is uh, texting me being like, what's happening? So um, let me, let's end off on like one last question or however you want to end it and we'll go from there. Yeah, I... So Chris, uh, let's be mindful with our time because it's early, but we've got uh, stuff to do. I, yeah. I kind of want to ask yourself if you have any tip for anyone right now. Um, I know the, the coronavirus thing is still going on. It's still going to go on for quite a while. Do you have any creative outlet that you'd, you'd suggest people to experience or dip their toes into if they've really been drained by what's been happening lately? We, we have a, a sign in our office that says, remember why you started, because Lizzie and I always have trouble connecting with the, the reason why we're doing all of this a lot of the times. So, so my message to everybody would be, if you're feeling stressed out, you know, when you first picked up a camera or you first started doing anything creative, there was like excitement around it. So if you can like tap back into that remember why you started mentality i think it will allow you to like enjoy the process enjoy everything rather than feeling so stressed out about being like i need to make i need to do this and i need to do this like if you can take all the stress and anxiety and everything else away and just like find your happy place with your creative part that is like i started because i love taking photos of cars or i love taking photos of people then why don't you like find that core thing that you loved again and really answer the question, why, why did I start in the first place? And, and, and if you can tap into that, I think, you'll, I think you'll rediscover your passion for a lot of things in life. That's awesome. That's such a great advice. It's something we lose track of so, yeah. so fast. Yeah. Mm. All right, Chris, thank you so much. Where can people find you online? Is there a specific piece of content or place you want them to go? Um, if you want to have a good time watching some fun videos, you can go over to YouTube, check out Chris Howe, H-A-U, not H-O-W. 
And uh, on Instagram, uh, that's definitely like a place I am very active on, um, especially when posting like new photos. I usually spend um, 10 to 15 minutes after every photo, like replying to every comment and sending video DMs. So if you want like a, a hello, like a real hello dedicated to you, you might get one if you find me on uh, Instagram. So it's the Chris Howe. Uh, H-A-U on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks, Pierre. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, would you like to receive once a week a free short email with my top five inspirations, photos with settings, gear I've loved, and what I've been watching, reading, or listening to that really inspired my work and my life lately? If you want it, just go to pierretlambert.com forward slash top five and you will be in. Every week you will receive that short email to set you off on a good vibe for the weekend and inspire you. Now with that being said, have an amazing day. I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye.